morning. It's great to be with you. Here, here I am. Gosh, hard to believe in a way. Um, but thanks once again to everybody who was involved yesterday. I thought it was a great day. It went really well and uh, looking forward to being here for as long as the Lord will have me, hopefully long term. How about we pray as we come to God's word this morning and uh, let's talk to him now. Father, we thank you that as we've read in your word, we are truly blessed. And just as we've sung, Lord, we pray that come what may, that you will still be our vision. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you now and forevermore. And as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we pray that your spirit will be at work in us. Help us, Lord, be your people. Help us to live as your people here in the place that you've put us. And Lord, may we be your faithful servants inspired to live for you. Amen. Well, friends, I do feel blessed this morning, blessed to be with you, blessed that I'm here in Griffith. No better place to be. Well, it may be, but it's pretty good. I know there's a number of people who been around the Wollongong area and I can't help but think that this kind of rocky outcropping along here is kind of our answer to the Illawarra escarpment. Not quite, but not bad. But here we are in Griffith. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe in some ways that, uh, that this is God's country. It's a great place filled with great people and so, as I said, I feel blessed to be here. But it's a word that we kind of use I think in a way that we shouldn't. Perhaps it's a word that we've used too much. And in some ways it's lost its real meaning. It wasn't very long ago people on Instagram would be taking photos of themselves in some tropical location by a beach somewhere and writing, you know, the little caption, hashtag blessed. The best of life, sunshine, cocktails by the beach maybe, food, drink, friends. That's what we think are blessings. And while they're good things, nothing wrong with that. I just had a tropical holiday and it was quite nice. But that's not what our passage here tells us is real blessing. In fact, as we look here, the Apostle Paul tells us that our blessings are in the spiritual realm. Not just here physically, the things that we can see and touch, like Phil told us in our kids' talk. But that is what we think, isn't it? that if we don't have those things, the latest and greatest and shiny toys or uh, the best, most luxurious resort holidays, then we're not blessed, that we've somehow missed out, that God has somehow let us down, that we need more. We need something else to be blessed. But what does the Apostle Paul say? Well, Paul introduces himself, as he always does. Chapter 1, verse 1. He says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Paul's establishing himself and his authority for the rest of what he's about to say. Paul, an apostle, someone who is sent out as an important messenger, somebody who is telling others what God has to say. And so everything here in this letter isn't just something that Paul dreamt up, but is God's message to the church in Ephesus and God's message to us today. And we're going to see why it is that Paul says that we who trust in Jesus are blessed. We're going to see that we've been blessed with adoption. 
blessed with redemption. And if you remember a couple of years ago, we did the big words that end in shun. Remember doing some of those? These are a couple of those words. We've been blessed also with an inheritance. And all of this comes from Jesus. But it's not just limited to a couple of examples that Paul gives. Paul says that we've been blessed as Christians with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Every single thing that God could give us to bless us, he has. Even if we find ourselves perhaps looked down upon by our society, perhaps we are the ones people think are crazy or evil or stupid, we are blessed abundantly, beyond belief, lacking absolutely nothing in the spiritual realm. Even if we don't necessarily have all the latest fashions, even if we don't go on all the greatest of holidays, even if we somehow live somewhere far away from friends and family and find it difficult, we're still blessed, blessed beyond measure. And even when life is really hard, when you find suffering and hardship at its most extreme, as a Christian, you're blessed, still, still blessed abundantly. How could he make such a claim? Why is it that Paul says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing? Well, because as we see in verse 5, we've been blessed with adoption. Come what may, friends, we are now God's children. We have been adopted into his family. We heard how much Phil loves Harry. Just imagine if God loved you that much, if not even more. That's a real blessing. You're his son or daughter, somebody who now has a close, intimate, personal relationship with God, so much so that he's not treating you as just some member of the extended friendship network. We're not Facebook friends with God. We're his family. That is how much he loves us. His love for us is so great that he is willing to take us who are sinners, bring us into his family to be with him forever, to be loved by him, cherished by him, cared for by him. And it's amazing that God has always had this in mind. We read here that God chose us before the creation of the world. Before Adam and Eve, before day one of the creation, God had you and me and all the rest of us who trust in Jesus in his mind, that he would make us his sons and daughters. That is how much he loves us. It's not an afterthought. It's not some accident. It is God's plan and purpose, and it always was. Well, how do we get to be? God's children then. I've alluded to that a bit earlier, that we go from being sinners to being sons or daughters. But redemption is the next thing that we see is a blessing. And that's the thing that underpins the whole rest of these blessings. God loves us so much that he redeems us from slavery. That's this idea of redemption. 
we are not by default friends with God. In fact, we read in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our sins and transgressions before we come to know Jesus. But in Jesus' death and resurrection, we're redeemed, brought out of our slavery to sin. We're freed from its power. We're no longer enemies but friends, and more than that, family. We've been redeemed. But we've also been blessed because we're God's chosen people. Uh, We here have been redeemed and adopted into God's family. And again, this was not something that happened by accident. And nor is it something that God had no control over. In some circles, predestination gets a bad rap. And I can see perhaps that it comes from a misunderstanding of its nature. But perhaps in this instance, predetermined might be a good way to understand it. As Paul speaks of how we've been predestined, I think predetermined. It's not us who've done anything, but God. God, before the creation of the world, determined that you and I and all the rest of us who love Jesus will indeed be his children. And as his children, we receive an inheritance. A bit like we get from our mums and dads or grandmas and granddads if they should pass away. Now, Paul's not saying that God is dead. He's not saying that God died and now we've received whatever stuff God once owned. What he's saying is that we receive all the privileges of being in God's family. All the things that God has gives to us, not because he's dead, but because he loves us, because we're his children now, part of the family. If my great-grandmother were to pass away and leave all of her early earthly possessions to someone we've never met and had no idea about, that would be really weird. What normally happens is that if someone's passed away, they leave it to their family. So we are now part of God's family, redeemed, adopted, and we have this future inheritance to look forward to. And how do we know that it's coming Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's the deposit, the down payment for what is yet to come. We are united to Christ, adopted into God's family, redeemed from sin, and we see all these things in part now because we have the Holy Spirit. But friends, there is more to come. One day, our inheritance will be complete. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms will be complete. As children, we are looking forward to the day when all of this will be ours completely. In him, Paul uses this phrase over and over and over again. In him, we have this and that and the other. In him, because of our unity Together in Christ, we have all these blessings. In him, not Instagram. In him. And friends, that's why we're going to love Jesus more and more as we understand what he has done for us. We're here because we're blessed. We're not blessed because we're here. We're here because we're blessed. We come to church together each Sunday 
We serve each other. We praise God. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of his death and resurrection that has brought us every spiritual blessing. And Paul wanted this church in Ephesus to remember just how good they've got it. They would have been a minority, looked down upon by their pagan neighbours, probably had a pretty hard time. And if you read in Acts as the church actually gets started in Ephesus, it starts with a riot. The pagans are out to get this Christian guy, Paul, and he's ruining our business of selling idols. So the church in Ephesus would have had a hard time. It would not have been an easy place to be a Christian. And so Paul is saying, forget about material things for a minute and focus on the spiritual, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now the church in Ephesus seemed to get off to a pretty good start. Paul has a lot of really encouraging things to say about the church. It's a very positive sort of a letter, the book of Ephesians. There's lots of great teaching in it. But then, about 40 years after this letter of Ephesians was written, the Apostle John also wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. And you can read that in Revelation chapter 2. Only this time, it's not nearly as positive as you might think. Our church may have started off really well, and our church may have started off really well too. Things might be looking really good today. Things are looking terrific, just as they did in Ephesus, but within a couple of decades, maybe 40 years, the wheels have fallen off because people forgot about every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now, we've got to continue to remember all that Christ has done for us. Remember how blessed we are in Christ, not worry about the material things that we and our culture so desire. We have to stick with Jesus. A bit like that Beatles song, Love, Love Me Do, You Know I Love You. I'll always be true, so please love me do. Except that's a really, really bad example because John Lennon wrote that when he was with his first girlfriend, Cynthia. And then as he found out that Cynthia was pregnant, he said in his best liver, probably an accent, there's only one thing for it, Sin, we'll have to get married. So they did. Only that didn't last long either because before too long, after John's increased drug use and abusive behaviour, he then left her and shacked up with Yoko Ono. So despite him saying, love, love me do, I'll always be true, I'll always love you, he didn't mean it, didn't last long, and I'm sure at the time he may have been very sincere, definitely interested in this, this girl, Cynthia. The relationship broke down within the next decade. That was the end of that. So even though Cynthia may have been his first love, and even though he might have written a love song about her to her, telling her how much he loved her, things didn't end very well. And I think it was the same here in Ephesus. It starts out with the people loving Jesus really well. And they're saying all the right things. They're doing all the right things. This church looks good. But about 40 years later, the Apostle John, as he writes his letter in Revelation 2, says their problem is that they have left their first love. They've forsaken the one that they had, the love that they had at first. 
So in Ephesus, there was some stuff that was wonderful, but now it's woeful. So John has a warning. John sees this vision of Jesus standing among the seven lampstands in heaven. And each one of these lampstands is a church in what we today call Turkey, what he calls Asia Minor, the province of Asia. And it's good for us to remember sometimes that even though it might feel like Jesus is sometimes far off and distant, John has this vision of Jesus in amongst the churches, right there with them, right there with us. Not far away and distant, but present, actively supervising, watching over, and aware of the circumstances of the churches here on earth. So John's letter starts out pretty well, though. He says, I know your deeds, I know your hard work and your perseverance. It's actually pretty good. If this was a church report card, you'd be looking a bit like school with various different things that, you know, each class you might be taking. You're doing pretty well here in science. You've got an A for science and an A for English. And hang on, got a D for maths. It's a bit like this church here. He starts out, yep, pretty good. A for doctrine, uh, A for endurance, but we've got a problem. This I have against you, says Jesus, through John. You have forsaken your first love. Love for Jesus is the thing that they're not doing. They're saying all the right things. They're suffering all the right sufferings. They're enduring hardship and persecution really well, but for what? It's not because they love Jesus. They don't seem to have love for him at all anymore. A bit like poor old John Lennon as he initially says to his dear wife, Cynthia, that he'll always love her and things didn't end so well. Here in Ephesus, we see the same thing. So John's message is, now that we've established what's wonderful and woeful, here's your warning. What you've got to do is stop. Stop what you're doing and recover your first love. Because it doesn't matter how much we are doing for Jesus. Jesus says there will be many people who come to him on the last day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus will say, away from me, you evildoers, they never knew you. I never knew you, despite the fact that you thought you were working really hard for me, doing all these things, thinking that you're serving me, you were not, because you didn't love me. And Jesus says, if you don't remember and repent, if you don't recover your first love, I will come and take away your lampstand. Jesus is in the business of shutting down churches that don't love him. He's in the business of calling people who are just going through the motions to repent. He's calling on all of us to reconsider our heart. How much do we love Jesus? Because it's all well and good for us to say all the right things. It's all well and good for us to be very active doing things. But if our heart's not in it, if we are not doing it for the benefit of Jesus and his kingdom, then it's time to stop. It's time to recover our first love. Remember the love you had at first, John says. Go back to that. Go back to that. For this reason, because our church is doing well, 
and we don't want to lose sight of that. We don't want to forget about our first love. We don't want to lose sight of the blessings that we have in Christ. What I'll be doing the next couple of weeks is trying to get to know as many people as I can, talking to as many ministry leaders as I can, to make sure that our church doesn't lose sight of Jesus. So you won't see me in the pulpit the next couple of weeks. You'll see me here. You'll see me in your Bible study group. You'll see me in other meetings and various things that are going on. But what I'm trying to do is figure out how can we as a church maintain this love for Jesus, continue with our first love. So the elders will pick up the slack while I'm not preaching the next couple of weeks. But in about a month, after I've had a little bit of time to get to know people and have a look around and figure things out, I'll be back here preaching every week, more or less, as the minister would normally do. But friends, in the meantime, our love for Jesus is the thing that I want to hammer home today. Our love for Jesus is the thing that we don't want to forget. And, and that appreciation of all that we have blessed in, this, in the heavenly realms, we can't forget that. We can't neglect our first love. And even though we sometimes may find life hard, and even if we might struggle sometimes, and even if we might get very busy, wrapped up, doing good things, we've got to check our own hearts. How much are we doing this for our own status? How much are we doing this for the benefit of somebody else? It's not Jesus. Because, friends, no matter where we go or what we do, my prayer is that our hearts will be in the right place, that our love, our first love, the most important love that we have will be for Jesus. So let's pray as we prepare to take communion together. Father, we thank you that you have indeed blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Help us not lose sight of that when we're tempted to look around and see that other people have more material possessions or their lives may be easier. Father, instead help us to reflect on your great love for us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus lived and died and rose again for us to show us how much he loved us. Help us, Lord, to reciprocate, to love you as much as you love us. Help us, Lord, not forsake our first love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.